morning and welcome to the Fred Paul Show on ADH TV. Well, Australia hasn't quite reached the same level of racial acrimony as the United States. Most of us can still see that the politics of race is divisive, destructive and benefits all but a few shady hustlers. Whatever we Australians think about the death of George Floyd in Minnesota in 2020, for example, we would mostly agree that a violent, repeat offending thief and drug user is not the type of man who deserves a statue, as the city of Newark in New Jersey did in 2021. The Australian sense of the fair go and our innate desire to simply get on with each other always prevented that kind of divisive thinking. Well, that's how it used to be, but this week we took two giant steps away from the convivial consensus that used to define us as a nation. The first one is this. This is the statue of Sydney Swans AFL player Adam Goods, which was unveiled outside the Swans' new home in Moore Park, next to the Sydney Cricket Ground, this week. It depicts the moment when Goods pretended to throw a spear at Carlton fans at a home and away game during the 2015 season at the Sydney Cricket Ground. I used to be a Swans fan and I cheered Goodsy on countless times at the SCG as well as at the 2005 Grand Final when he picked up 20 possessions and kicked a goal to help break the Swans' 72-year premiership drought. If the statue outside the Swans' headquarters was of any other moment from his sporting career, it would be a reminder of his legend status in the game. But this statue celebrates the time when Goods briefly became the most divisive figure in the nation and an emblem of all that is making us more like the violently divided United States. Goods, you will recall, demanded security personnel evict a 13-year-old female Collingwood fan who called him an ape at the Melbourne Cricket Ground earlier in that 2015 season. The girl was too young to know how offensive it was but it was just the beginning of woke elitists finding racism among ordinary Australians where none existed. When Goods was booed at subsequent matches, this too was attributed to racism and was blown up into a story that sold newspapers and helped the AFL redefine itself from a sporting organisation to a virtue signalling force for woke politics. Even Goods himself admits the statue is divisive. He said, quote, I wanted to celebrate my culture, he said when it was being unveiled this week. Well, that's not Australian culture, which as it happens, gave him the opportunity to be paid ridiculous amounts of money for doing something he loved, but his culture, which obviously excludes non-Indigenous people and certainly excludes the Carlton fans he pretended to threaten at that match in 2015. And exactly what culture was he celebrating? 
What was he celebrating when he pretended to shake a spear at those Carlton fans? Well, we'll get to that a bit later. But this statue brings us one step closer to the seemingly unbridgeable divisions now destroying American society. Is that really where we want to go? The other big development this week was the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, urging us all to get behind his voice to Parliament. He ridiculed those who oppose the voice to Parliament on the perfectly reasonable grounds that it will give some Australians more power than others. This great lie will sit at the centre of the No campaign and needs to be called out. Australians won't succumb to their appeals to fear and there are even more ludicrous invitations to jump at our own shadows. That's because Australians have a healthy scepticism of doomsayers, a scepticism kept in good health by memories of all the predictions offered by the chicken littles of the past. Remember how the sky was going to fall in after the apology. Please enjoy the sky as you head back out today. Well, we may or may not have a healthy scepticism of doomsayers, but we definitely have a healthy scepticism of BS, which is exactly what this voice to parliament is. Reduced to its essential message, the voice says that indigenous people have different needs to the rest of us and different methods to achieve them. This is a major departure from the Judeo-Christian principles on which our culture is based. And even Albanese himself knows it's bogus. Here he is explaining existing indigenous projects in Burke in Western New South Wales and Port Adelaide. The first one in Burke has... If you want to see that in action, look at Burke, where the community-led Maranguka project is delivering results, including significant reductions in domestic violence, reoffending and juvenile charges, along with improved school retention. Programs like these save money. The difference they make to people's lives, though, is beyond measure. In Port Adelaide, work is underway through Tira Apandi Wadley, which means protecting home in Ghana. That is what is needed. Projects tailored to local needs and developed in partnership with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So these projects help stop domestic violence, keep kids out of trouble, make sure the kids go to school and ensure the homes they live in are nice. Let's hear him say it again. Projects tailored to local needs and developed in partnership with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. They're not tailored to local needs, Albo. They're the same needs as every other Australian since white settlement. But he's right on the second point. They are developed in partnership between the government and Indigenous people because people like Albanese condemn our ind Indigenous brothers and sisters with the tyranny of low expectations, which is the most racist presumption of all. Allow me to suggest a modest proposal that will save Australia the anguish of this acrimonious debate 
and the expense of a referendum that, the way it's heading, will probably fail. As all keen observers of this issue know, the voice referendum is just one part of a three-part package, which also includes a treaty and truth-telling. The treaty is absurd enough, given that a nation can't sign a treaty with its own citizens. But instead of kicking off this package with the voice, let's kick it off with truth-telling instead. The Joint Select Committee on Constitutional Recognition relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples delivered its report to Federal Parliament in 2018, which includes this clause, quote, Truth-telling is not just about acknowledging the atrocities of the past, but is also an opportunity for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples to share their culture and language with their communities. Well, the atrocities of the past are often exaggerated to give the impression that white settlers were racist and intent on cultural genocide. Their intentions varied, but overall the British arrived here with the hope of living in harmony with the natives and embracing them into a better, healthier, freer, more prosperous society. As Oxford ethicist Nigel Biggar said on this show in March. But I, you're quite right. I'm quite frank about um, talking in terms of cultural and cultural superiority and inferiority, uh, not because I think that, that any culture is permanently and absolutely superior to another, but because it seems to me to be common sense that in some respects, at some times in certain places, uh, a given culture is, in terms of technology or science or medicine, or even uh, uh, liberal politics superior to another. And sometimes uh, the, the members of the inferior culture um, uh, recognize the values, the value of the advantages of the superior culture and want to um, adopt it. But inevitably when they adopt uh, something, they also adapt it. So it's not, it's not simply a, an uncritical uh, um, receiving, it's also um, a, 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 um, appropriated in a fashion that fits uh, native circumstances. Australia was progressing nicely in this way until about 50 years ago, when the Aboriginal industry started to drive a wedge between us, emphasising our differences instead of our common humanity. But if it's truth-telling the Joint Select Committee wants, perhaps that's what it should get. The second part of that clause says the Indigenous should, quote, share their culture and language with their communities. Well, this brings us back to Adam Goods pretending to threaten Carlton fans with a spear. The spear is sadly central to Aboriginal culture, which, truth be told, was far more barbaric than we are currently being led to believe. This book is a gripping biography by West Australian journalist Hugh Edwards of Albert Barunga, who was born around 1910, survived the brutal tribal life into which he was born in the Kimberleys, and in 1977 donned a tuxedo to board Queen Elizabeth's Britannica yacht as it was docked in Fremantle. His story is an extraordinary one of survival, 
candour, stoicism and good humour. It's about as Australian as it gets. In the biography, Barunga describes how spears were used constantly to settle disputes in tribal culture, whether it was for a woman talking back to her husband or a young man stealing another man's wife. On each of these occasions, the wounds are horrific. There's another book, William Buckley, the convict who escaped the settlement at Port Phillip Bay in 1803 and spent 32 years running with an Aboriginal tribe, later recalled constant encounters with other tribes that invariably degenerated into battles involving spears and clubs that would go on for hours and end with blood everywhere and corpses strewn about. And it gets worse. In his book, The, the Story of Australia's People, historian Geoffrey Blaney says of the indigenous tribes immediately before and after white settlement, quote, cannibalism was often the ritual aftermath of a death rather than a motive for killing. On occasions, however, infants and adults were deliberately killed so that their flesh could be eaten. So yes, let's bring on the truth-telling and remind ourselves about how far life has come on this continent for Indigenous and non-Indigenous alike since 1788. We don't need a voice to Parliament, we just need to continue along the track we were heading before a clique of elitists realised there was money to be made from Aboriginal separation and disadvantage and from rewriting our history through the lens of fictional white privilege and genocide. One of the milestones on that track was at the annual Reconciliation Dinner, sponsored by Rio Tinto, the largest private employer of Indigenous Australians at the time, at Parliament House in Canberra in February 2014. The then Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, said there were tangible things Australia could do to close the gap with the Indigenous, but there were some symbolic things that could be done as well. And this part of his speech deserves to be quoted at length. There is a great spirit in Indigenous people. I often think that we Australians underestimate the contribution that Indigenous people have made to our national ethos. The stoicism, the laconic humour and the endurance that has come to characterise us as a nation. I doubt it came ashore in 1788 because frankly it doesn't characterise the English, the Irish or the Scots, but it came to characterise Australians. I suspect that the interaction on our frontier between the white fella and the black fella has produced in the Australian character that stoicism and that humour which is now very much a part of our ethos, indeed, a part of our soul." Unquote. Well, if only Tony Abbott's successor, Anthony Albanese, could be so gracious. Instead, he's dragging us into a debate that will divide us further and achieve nothing. 
Well, that's all from me tonight. Thanks for watching. The great Alan Jones is up next at eight o'clock. And if you haven't yet, tune in for the Mark Stein Show at five o'clock Australian Eastern Time every Tuesday to Friday, or check out his show at adh.tv or on our app. You can also see great content from Lyle Shelton, Damien Curry, Alexandra Marshall, Daisy Cousins, David Flint, Nick Cater, and more. Tell your friends, ADH is the new home for common sense commentary, and there is no shortage of things to comment about these days. I'll see you again tomorrow at seven o'clock. Good night.